I've learned in leading people that you can lead people best when you meet them where they are. That means speaking their language and understanding their perspective. Living in the United States means that many people I talk to take their cues from the Bible, including guidance on how to act regarding the environment. Among them, the term stewardship plays a key role. A steward, according to the dictionary, is one who manages another's property, finances, or other affairs. Now, everyone views and means things uniquely, but I understand them to mean the world and everything living in it. If we steward them, in this view, as I understand it, they aren't ours, but we steward them for both the true owner and future generations so that they can enjoy and steward them for their future generations. Again, everyone reaches his or her views in his or her own unique way, but I understand many reach this view of stewardship from a few passages in the Bible. In particular, Genesis in the King James Version says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This passage uses the word dominion, which means control or the exercise of control, sovereignty, according to the dictionary. For centuries, people interpreted dominion to mean that they could act like rulers over nature, dominate, do what they wanted. After all, God told them they could. For that matter, no matter what they did, nature did what it wanted and always returned to what it was like before. That is, no matter how many rhinoceroses, bald eagles, or whales they killed, or how much waste they threw out, the animals returned and the waste turned to compost, eventually dirt, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. After hundreds of thousands of years of human life, only in the past couple centuries have we seen otherwise. I don't think people before could have understood extinction. Life always bounced back. If some species did go extinct, it didn't happen on the timescale that humans observed. I don't even know if they, for most of human history, had a concept of species. I looked up extinction in Wikipedia. It said, and I'm going to quote Wikipedia at length here, For much of history, the modern understanding of extinction as the end of a species was incompatible with the prevailing worldview. Prior to the 19th century, much of Western society adhered to the belief that the world was created by God and as such was complete and perfect. This concept reached its heyday in the 1700s with the peak popularity of a theological concept called the Great Chain of Being, in which all life on Earth, from the tiniest microorganism to God, is linked in a continuous chain. The extinction of a species was impossible under this model, as it would create gaps or missing links in the chain and destroy the natural order. Thomas Jefferson was a firm supporter of the Great Chain of Being and an opponent of extinction, famously denying the extinction of the woolly mammoth on the grounds that nature never allows a race of animals to become extinct. Okay, that was all Wikipedia. You could say that the Bible led people to see nature as unchanging, but I don't think that one book started that view. I figure people saw the world that way for a long time. Today, I think most of us think of extinction in terms of species today disappearing forever. But even after species went extinct before, like the woolly mammoth, people oppose this concept of extinction. The concept of extinction took hold, at least in the West, on discovering past species, like dinosaurs, through fossils. They concluded that something used to live that no longer does. My point is that humans took a long time to realize that we could permanently change nature. Even the concept of extinction, at first, in the 1800s, meant something we had nothing to do with. Only very recently, probably in the 20th century, did we realize that we could permanently change nature, that is, to make part of it permanently disappear. If you view nature as something given to humans, then if you contribute to causing something to disappear forever, then you are depriving future generations from what was given to you. If you believe that God gave earth and everything on it to everyone, then causing an extinction means that you are taking a gift to everyone for yourself. I mentioned how people could throw things away and everything would turn to compost. Even metals would rust away for most of history. But with dioxin, mercury, and other poisons and pollution, and plastic, that doesn't happen. Same with carbon dioxide, methane, and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. On timescales relevant to humans and human culture, these things don't break down or go away. 
Again, pollutions, poisons, plastic, and so on deprive future generations of what we enjoyed. So for centuries, even millennia, our intellectual forebears saw no contradiction between dominating nature and nature as a gift for all people. Today, it seems impossible to ignore that we enjoy less diversity of species, less nature untouched by humans, and less capacity to sustain life than past generations. And the evidence that we are accelerating that trend, leaving future generations with less, seems overwhelming. Hence, it seems, the modern interpretation of stewardship. If we're all supposed to enjoy nature, including future generations, we have to steward what we received so that they can receive it too. Today, regarding dominion, people now say things like, and here I found some quotes from the internet, quoting, Dominion does not mean destruction, but responsibility. It is important to avoid flawed convictions about the right and power of humankind in relation to the rest of the natural world. Or, here's another quote, Fallen man has dominion over nature, but he uses it wrongly. The Christian is called upon to exhibit this dominion, but to exhibit it rightly, treating the thing as having value itself, exercising dominion without being destructive. So these are modern interpretations of the word dominion, of what it means to have dominion over nature. Changing history and nature forced people to reinterpret dominion from domination to stewardship. As an aside, I noticed that the concept of leadership, and now I'm not talking about the Bible here, but that I noticed that the concept of leadership has evolved in many places from dominance based in authority to service based in understanding. In my experience, telling people what to do and expecting compliance based on authority motivates them to resist and undermine your authority since it implies you can hurt them if they don't. My model of leadership is to help them do what they already wanted to, but couldn't figure out how. If they knew how, they wouldn't need leadership. I think people, if given the chance to reflect, free from distraction of advertising and the lure of existing systems, and informed of the consequences of their actions, would choose behavior leading to cleaner air, cleaner land, and cleaner water over behavior that pollutes it, which is more widespread today. Even, and up to including, flying much less, as much as the world already does. Most people don't fly ever. Having fewer children and paying more for things that extract and pollute, especially fossil fuels, plastic, greenhouse emissions, and things that poison our environment. My goal in environmental leadership is to help people find the joy, meaning, and purpose in their environmental behavior. In this regard, I think that I'm doing what people are doing in interpreting dominion to mean stewardship. They aren't telling people what to do. They're helping them achieve what they already wanted to, but couldn't see how, given the old interpretation. And why should the old interpretation be right? Maybe people in the past misinterpreted. As you might expect, I like the stewardship model. Whatever its source, it fits with my interest in maintaining Earth's ability to sustain life in human society. Actually, given all the extinctions and disappearing wildlife, I'd like to go farther. I'd like to restore nature to what I knew of it when I grew up. I remember bluebirds and apple trees in the city, farms that took our food scraps also within the city. We could catch salamanders, shrews, and newts in the stream behind my school growing up. Now I see almost exclusively pigeons, sparrows, rats, and cockroaches, that diversity of life is no longer there. But even my view is short-sighted. I've read that in the days before steamships that sailboats crossing the Atlantic would find themselves in schools of fish so numerous that the ships would stop moving in the water because there were so many fish, that sailors would see whales as far as the eye could see, that there were walruses in the Thames River in London. Maybe you've heard, as I did, of the passenger pigeon, now extinct, that it would take days for a flock to pass. It turns out that they were not unique. Many species of birds took days to pass. The nature that I grew up with is a pathetic remnant of what used to exist. The nature that children today experience is a pathetic remnant of my pathetic remnant. I think we can do more than just halt the decline and restore what our ancestors experienced. Now, for some reason, people misinterpret, and they think that I mean return to the Stone Age or hunting and gathering. 
I'm preparing an episode on false dichotomies. For now, I'll clarify that I do mean a smaller population. I don't mean killing people, nor returning to the Stone Age. I've recorded episodes on how whatever problems you imagine in reversing growth, sustaining growth creates far more and more serious problems. Anyway, all this talk about interpreting the Bible was all context for what I wanted to get to, which is the next passage in the Bible, which I see as ripe for a new interpretation. The next passage in the King James translation is, So God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It says dominion again, but I want to look at be fruitful and multiply. As far as I know, everyone interprets it to mean have lots of children. Already for a long time, people have reinterpreted it for people who couldn't have children, so reinterpreting it is nothing new. Non-stop growth on a finite planet can't continue forever. An increasing number of people find the signs that we've overshot what the planet can sustain overwhelming. In the passage, it says, and fill the earth. Well, perhaps we've already filled it. Even if you consider other planets, look at Tom Murphy's Do the Math blog. He was a guest on the show. It shows from basic physics and math that we overwhelm the galaxy, even at modest growth rates, in less time than from the time the Giza pyramids are built until today. That's a few thousand years. If we grow as we're growing now, that we will overwhelm the galaxy, let alone Mars or the moon, if we were able to start life there. And this is what I want to get to. I propose that we interpret being fruitful as having children, yes, but a sustainable number. As for multiplying, how about multiplying happiness, joy, and other non-material things, but that give life meaning and purpose? If you believe the Bible is the word of God, or even just good guidance, and you see that the earth has finite resources, that we've filled it, that we're depleting these resources, if only just that we're causing lots of extinctions and disappearing wild spaces that deprive future generations of enjoying what we enjoy, if we overshoot the population that those resources can sustain, our population will decrease and not by our choice. That would mean disease, starvation, wars over resources, and in a word, suffering. Now adopting the Bible is correct or even just useful guidance. How can we square the Bible saying to multiply with causing future generations suffering based on a multiplying population? The logic that led to interpret dominion to mean stewardship suggests clearly to me interpreting multiplying to mean multiplying happiness. Did God want people to suffer or to be happy? If the latter, happy, let's multiply happiness. We'll still have kids, just a sustainable number. If you believe the Bible is the word of God, could God have instructed people to cause their children to suffer? Or could God have meant to multiply joy and responsibility? Jesus himself had no children, and as far as I know, spent most of his life multiplying happiness and teaching others how to multiply their happiness and teaching others how to teach others and so on how to multiply happiness. Incidentally, I said future generations, but the news I'm aware of suggests that children and adults today will suffer on the scale of hundreds of millions to billions as climate refugees, victims of wars over resources, and so on. So when I say future generations, I mean people living today. So in the tradition of understanding dominion to mean responsible stewardship as the Bible's intent, I propose understanding being fruitful to mean having responsible numbers of children, that is one or two, and multiplying to mean multiplying happiness, joy, responsibility, meaning, and purpose. Imagine a world of happy, responsible people, not overwhelming nature's ability to sustain life, but harmonious with it, working with others to become happier and responsible to each other. Isn't that what being fruitful and multiplying means? In a finite world or galaxy, what else can it mean?